0: All right, good evening. It's great to be up here today because I've been at AWS now for about six and a half years. And when I first joined, I think the entire reInvent could have fit in a couple of rooms. And when I first joined, you couldn't say the word hybrid architecture at AWS. So I like to say we've come a long way at AWS by listening to our customers. Uh, we have something called customer obsession, and we've listened to our customers, and they said, when I go out to big clients that I work with, Capital One, John Deere, Liberty Mutual, Mass Mutual, one of the first questions I get as an enterprise technologist is, Tom, tell me how I can set up my network, secure my hybrid cloud environment, manage, monitor, and operate it. So hopefully by the end of this session, you're gonna be experts on those three things on, on hybrid cloud. I guess first before I get started, I should introduce myself. Tom Leschewski, I'm an enterprise technologist with AWS, been here for about six and a half years. I started off in the partner organization and I'm pleased to have one of our partners here, Green Pages, very uh, fortuitously that I was at a, the good thing about going to happy hours is you run into people just by coincidence. And I was at a happy hour and I came up with this idea of extending landing zones. And how many people know what landing zones are? Okay, so quite a few people. I'm gonna to touch on it briefly. This idea, we have this idea of landing zones which helps you to do account management, you know, security, logging, all the things you need to do. It's out of AWS, but how about in a hybrid cloud environment? How do you actually stand up a landing zone in a hybrid cloud environment? So I came up with this idea of this session around extending landing zones into hybrid cloud, and then I realized I didn't really have any content. So I ran into uh, Rich at a happy hour, and I said, he's like, I got this whole environment, this whole reference architecture that I put together for hybrid cloud, and I actually have a customer. And I said, great, you're gonna present at reInvent with me. So that's how this all came about. So unfortunately, if we do, or we're gonna talk about a customer uh, story here. Unfortunately, a customer couldn't make it last minute, but it is a legitimate customer. All right, you're gonna have to trust me on that. All right, so this is the topic. I'm gonna cover a little bit, hybrid cloud, what AWS considers hybrid cloud. And then we're gonna quickly get into some um, architectures. We have a very fancy, sophisticated architecture slide I think you're all gonna enjoy. AWS Marketing didn't appreciate our slide, but I said this slide everyone loves, so we're gonna keep it in the presentation. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about Finch Therapeutics and what they've done with this reference implementation of hybrid cloud. So your legacy model, just very quickly, I mean, the, 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 the really good thing about AWS in the cloud is the fact that you now have multiple VPCs, multiple accounts, right? So your blast radius is really decreased. I mean, in, in on-premises, I've seen people put, you know, computers underneath their desk, is residing in manufacturing and closets all over the place. When it's in AWS, you know it's all in AWS, and if you set up your accounts, and your VPC structures correctly, you reduce your blast radius. So that's one of the benefits and reason that people are migrating to to AWS, but still needing to operate in a hybrid environment. Like I mentioned, some of these large companies that I work with, they're on a digital transformation journey, not on a hybrid cloud journey. So you're gonna have a hybrid for a while. Capital One still has data centers. GE still has data centers that they operate. and I'm sure a lot of you still have data centers you're gonna operate for, for a long time. So one of the key things we're gonna talk about today is a transit hub. And I know AWS just announced, did, did people hear the announcement that we made about the transit hub? Yeah. So that's great, we just announced transit hub. One of the things about our transit hub is that it works in our environment, right, and on-premises. Uh, What we're gonna talk about today is a little bit about multi-cloud, because sometimes people have more than just on-premises, they have other clouds that they're operating in. So we're gonna talk about Transit Hub in a hybrid cloud and a multi-cloud environment. The other thing is, is these multiple accounts, and I'm gonna mention in a couple of slides here a little bit about landing zones, but the fact that now you have multiple VUCs and accounts. I know ever since I've been at AWS, the first question I, a lot of times I get from people when they're, when they're migrating to AWS is, how do I set up my accounts, right? How many accounts should I have? Is one account good enough? Is 50,000 accounts too many? How many VPCs should I have? So that's some of the prescriptive guidance we're gonna, we're gonna give to you t- today. The other thing that you need in the cloud, and the question I get, like I talked earlier, is compliance and Cost optimization reporting. So there's multiple ways to do hybrid cloud. And I always emphasize this. And I hate when I talk to a consultant or an architect and they say, it depends. Right? They always say, well, it depends what you're doing. So today we're gonna give you some guidance, but I can give you some examples. And if How many people saw a mass mutual hybrid cloud session yesterday? Yeah. So they are using things like AWS CloudWatch, CloudFormation, Lambda. So they've sort of rolled their own hybrid cloud management and monitoring environment. They've created their own environment. Another way to do it, there's products out in the marketplace. People have probably heard of BMC and CA, right? Some of these management monitoring platforms, so they're still out there today, and they work in a hybrid cloud environment. A lot of the global systems integrators like Accenture and WePro, Accenture has Accenture Cloud Platform, which is a way to operate in a hybrid cloud environment. A lot of our MSP partners also have environments, so you can purchase a sort of hybrid cloud environment tool. Nutanix, I don't know if people have heard of that company, hyperconverged company, they're getting into the hybrid cloud sort of management monitoring space as well. So different options, you can choose to use an MSP, you could use GreenPages solution, which we're gonna talk about, or you could buy something or you could roll your own. So here uh, is something I came up with a few months ago. Uh, We didn't really have a lot of hybrid cloud messaging up until earlier this year from AWS and so when I thought about hybrid cloud, I said, really, you need a network, right? <laughs> the first thing you need, and that's what we're gonna talk a lot about today is a, is a, is a network. You could use uh, Aviatrix, which, which we're gonna talk about today. You could use ATT NetBond, perhaps, because you could use them in a multi-cloud environment. ATT NetBond is a managed direct connect service from AT&T. And security identity management. So you need to do SSO, you need to do IAM, you need directory services. We're not gonna talk about data integration today because we don't have a lot of time. But obviously you're gonna have to move data into the cloud and there's some services up from AWS that allow you to do that. And then management monitoring. I don't know, where's Rich? I don't, I don't know, you know, up on here I mentioned AWS Systems Manager. Are people familiar with AWS Systems Manager? Yeah, so that's a provisioning tool which allows you to provision, patch, manage your compute both on-premises and on AWS. I don't think Rich's solution uses that, but that's okay. That's okay, Rich. I'm okay with that. But uh, there are different options. Once again, there's different options. You could use something like System Manager to provision your compute both on-premises on AWS. And there's different options from AWS like AWS Config, right? Which is essentially, in a way, like an automated CMDB that constantly gets updated, right? So landing zones, really love landing zones because like I said, people wanna know what should my account structure look like? How many VPCs should I have? The one thing if you take a look at this landing zone doesn't do, which Rich is gonna get into, is it doesn't give you prescriptive guidance around should I have one VPC for each department? Should I have one VPC for all my tests and devs? Should I have one VPC for my apps people? How should I set that up? But what it does do for you is gives you an account structure and a VPC structure for things like security, like your logging, which is S3, so that's a separate VPC and a separate account. The nice thing about this is it's all templatized. It's all infrastructure as code, using AWS Service Catalog and CloudFormation. It also uses code pipeline. So you can change it, you can modify it, you can tweak it to fit how you want to set up your account structures. And Rich is gonna give you a couple of examples of the way that his solution, the GreenPages solution, sets up your, your account structures beyond just your foundational layer, which is setting up your SSO, your account directory structure, um, and your DNS that reside in your shared services, VPC and account. All right, so I laid the foundation for you. Now, Rich is going to come up to here and explain how you extend this landing zone, AWS landing zone, into a hybrid cloud environment. And hopefully we save some time because I think Rich and I are better at answering questions than we are at presenting. So we're hoping we're going to have about 10 minutes at the end to answer some questions. Certainly. Thank, thank you.
1: Thank you, Tom. Thanks a lot, Tom. That was a great introduction. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's really just first of all I'd like to say thank you to AWS for uh, allowing me the chance to present along green pages to put our solutions forward here. And certainly to Tom, it's been a real pleasure uh, collaborating with him. Um, so to introduce myself, I am a uh, client services director with uh, Green Pages. We're based in the north, Northeast. Um, I've been working with AWS for the better part of 10 years. I've had uh, you know some great experiences with some wonderful clients, some small customers, mid-sized customers, and uh, some very large enterprise clients that I've had the fortune of working with. So it's given me a lot of great perspective that I've gained uh, from working with those clients, from working with colleagues, other partner solution providers, and, uh, and peers along the way. So a lot of what I'm going to show you today you know, just reflects a lot of that. So as Tom said, we're starting here with this landing, zones, landing zone implementation, which gives us a great basis, a great foundation for a multi- Account multi VPC strategy where we're really working to initially, you know, as, as Tom said, uh, decrease our blast radius and improve our operational state. This gives us some great components our uh, AWS account provisioning, so in our automated account vending machine, AWS directory services, single sign on. We have a security VPC that we start with where we can build out our cross account IAM roles. Um, we have our logging VPC where we can have all of our logs, all of our cloud trail uh, and config logs flowing through. Great, great starting point, great basis. As we move forward to a true hybrid cloud implementation, we have to start solving some problems that look like we've got to extend and bring our corporate network and start to extend some resources, some running resources that are in our corporate network. Mostly, you know, WAN connectivity, uh, active Directory, so identity and access, identity and authentication management, our data sources and, and data center services, our operations and management tools that we're familiar and comfortable with. We need to make sure that you know, we're doing a good job as we extend to a hybrid cloud posture. One of the first things that we recommend establishing here, and, and you know, what, it's really important I say, as Tom said, there's, there's no right way to do this. There's, there's a lot of ways to do this. I, I really want to make that clear that this is, you know, this is going to be a perspective. This is a perspective uh, that Green Pages has, that I, that I have, that Tom, Tom shares. Um, but starting with the Transit Hub, especially you know with the new announcement by AWS to bring this into the fold of services that are available to us, uh, even natively, kind of validates a you know, reference architecture preference that has existed in the AWS community for quite some time around Transit Hub architecture and the use of Transit, Hub, uh, Transit VPCs. So we build a Transit Hub account. That's where we can land our VPN connections, our direct connects, you know, the complicated, sometimes difficult to manage process of uh, connecting our enterprise to the cloud. We get to do that one time in the Transit Hub account from there, we can deploy our running workloads in other uh, accounts and VPCs. I, I have another slide where we can talk a little bit more about um, you know, some, recommended, some rec- recommended thoughts, things to think about when solving that question of, you know, do I need one VPC, one, one account, or do I need 40,000 of these things that I really want to get granular? We'll give you some perspectives on um, how you can help your organization make those decisions and find that middle ground. But, you know, developer's account, departmental accounts, application accounts. We'll follow that pattern. Once we have our workloads running, now we can use our transit VPC to basically connect, make connections. And when you carry this through, this means we can do this in a programmatic way through automated tools and processes. It enables, you know, our compliance requirements, security, there's a lot of goals we can achieve and a lot of check boxes we can check with this type of a deployment. So here's some of those uh, account perspectives, AWS account perspectives. Um, what we're looking at here is when you use organizations, you can start to group these accounts up into OUs, organizational units. I generally call it an infotech because it's, just an, it's sort of an internal IT functions that are being performed by the base uh, organization's account as well as the uh, transit hub. The Transit Hub account, once we get that thing set up, we wanna really lock that down and throw away the key. We don't need anybody doing anything in that account. Um, A couple of other perspectives, though, is certainly our developers. We can have a developers OU. We can have a development account. We can deploy as many dev sandbox VPCs as needed. We can use some automated tools, some self-service tools we'll talk about later on. Developer says, I need. We can say, yes, it's approved and push button deploy into those accounts. So we'll, we'll talk about some of that, but that, that's often a challenge that organizations face is, you know, we have this sprawl, we've got development environments. How do we manage this? How do we track what's going on in the cloud? Another key perspective here is uh, managing workloads by department, right? I mean, sales department, marketing department, really, really easy. You say, okay, um, you're, you're, you're a manager, you're in charge of marketing. We want to understand what applications are deployed, what resources are running, what your costs are, back to that line of business manager. Sometimes this gets tricky and complex. This is one way to look at that um, by department, and I'll, I'll get into the VPCs in a second. Another way is, is by the application. So if we've got an application that's highly regulated and we need to um, have you know, different controlled environments, we can do that, and that's represented on the right, the right side of the, of the diagram here. So application deployments by functional departments, you know, shared users, right? shared user base, uh, shared data sources. Does, do all these applications use the same data, same database? Makes sense to group them up. Um, shared support teams, shared support resources, we've got the same core group of people supporting this, these you know, three or four applications, shared database, it makes sense, right, put them, put them together. Um, application deployments by environments, highly regulated or controlled environments, uh, automated deployment, testing, and support functions are, are required. In the case of the customer example we're going to show you, follow a much, you know, much more granular approach. Right? There's an account with VPCs deployed into that account all by environment with you know, the appropriate gated controls um, that are necessary. Wide area networking, again, Transit hub, right? So we deploy all this stuff, how do we get it connected? We're going to show a couple of perspectives um, enable us to do that programmatically. So this slide this is uh, kind of what caught Tom's attention, I think, and uh, landed me up here on stage with all of you today. Uh, this is green pages um, this is this is our reference architecture that we'll take to an account to a customer that says you know what, we really don't want to spend a lot of time on the typical consulting cycle. We, you know, maybe we don't have an unlimited budget and we don't have a lot of time, we need to get this done. And, you know, can you help us? Just give us some prescriptive advice. You know, can, can you show us how to do this and get us started? Um, we, we, we feel like this might solve, you know, 70, 80% of, of most of our clients' problems. So, you know, we're, we're, we're able to provide them with some prescriptive guidance. And a blueprint, um, rapid on-ramp for cloud enablement. That's what we really like to call this. Um, this is a you know hybrid cloud, multi-cloud architecture that helps us solve some of the most difficult challenges. First, again, how do we get connected? How do we bring our identity and access uh, management controls? How do we deploy our applications? Maybe you know maybe we got to bring some data. How do we how do we migrate data sources and, and bring them up. We get to do this in this very controlled prescriptive way. So big three challenges we solve with this is extending network connectivity via the global transit architecture. We bring the identity uh, and access management off an active directory in each one of the hybrid cloud landing zones. So it's not a dependency back on premises. That's a key point that um, I think a lot of people sort of miss is that you know, your network services that everyone relies on Active Directory, DNS, management and monitoring tools, uh, we leave them behind often. When we make the first step right to the cloud, we kind of leave some of that behind or we implement net new on the cloud and nothing's tied together and then we think about it a year later and it becomes a real difficult challenge to to solve for because now we got a whole bunch of running workloads in the cloud over here, a whole bunch of running workloads in the cloud over here, Nothing's really integrated. Talking to you, oh, and all this stuff we still have on premises, how do we, how do we actually move this project along? How do we move this project forward? And um, you know that can be a conundrum for some companies. We've had to help, you know, we've, we've, I've had the privilege of helping folks figure that out, sometimes to great cost, sometimes to almost an, uh, an internal migration effort within the cloud, you already got your workloads in the cloud, but we have to kind of re-architect and replan and redo a migration, an initial migration effort might have started with an insurgency, maybe not a whole lot of you know, forethought and planning. Um, so we you know, just try to help our clients uh, stay out of hot water in those, uh, in those areas. So w- I have a detailed slide we'll talk about more, but I, I also wanna focus here on the fact that, you know, most of the time we have clients that have these, these challenges of um, managing their, they do a great job of managing their on-premises environments, but they, they struggle with how do I create a view and a perspective for my support teams of my entire environment, so my, my hybrid cloud, my multi-cloud. I've got great tools on-premises. I've been running them for 20 years. I know exactly what's going on in my data center. I have great tools in AWS, right? I've got CloudWatch, CloudTrail. I've got Datadog. I've got all this, all this great stuff that's running there. What I don't have when I'm... Having some type of problem is you know one single pane of glass, one dashboard that tells me, oh, okay, this is, this is where my red light issue is. So we've we've been working to help our customers, you know, feed that into central dashboards, and that's been a that's been a big success story for us. Um, yeah, that's about enough on that slide. So, <laughs> this slide I'm going to tell you so. Um, this slide is gonna, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time. This slide is gonna get complicated very quickly. Some of the feedback we got in the prior session of this was that you know, it feels very overwhelming. I'll do the best I can to break it down, and let's have some questions and feedback at the end. But this is a slide I use when talking to, again, you know, maybe some, uh, some folks who are you know, net new to thinking about cloud and cloud adoption. And you know, one of the things we, we, we talk about is, okay, You've, you know, I, I use this example of an East, East Corp data center and a West Corp data center. So. And one of the first challenges we recommend to people uh, to solve is actually figure out your cider blocks, figure out your networking well ahead of time. Um, again, that insurgency-led effort or that, hey, let's start deploying, let's start going. You know, we got a bunch of default VPCs in AWS, a bunch of default VNets in Azure, and guess what? They all have the same IP address range, right? Same CIDR block. Um, it becomes very difficult at scale to route and manage and know what's going on in each one of these environments. So step number one, figure out your CIDR ranges, put them on a whiteboard, make sure everybody knows where it is, and let's live within that environment. And what we recommend is you pick a range by cloud provider, by region. And then that, that's it, that's what we do. So fairly large uh, you know, range of IPs. This is just a perspective and a view on the multi-account strategy. So what I'm gonna show you is that you know, in, in this multi-region perspective here, which can also be ported to multi-cloud, this is a multi-regional perspective, but you know, you'll notice we've got our uh, account three at the bottom left-hand corner of the regions, and that's our represented by our transit hub and WAN connectivity. Okay, they're in the same account. They're different VPCs. There's a VPC on the West Coast and a VPC on the East Coast. So the first challenge we talked about already is solving the WAN connectivity problem. This is where we land our VPN tunnels. right, so we land on the VGW, great VPN tunnels. What we talk to our clients about is, you know, hit the location that's nearest to your data center. If you're on the East Coast, connect to US East, that's your primary route in. If you're on the West Coast, hit US West. Also, uh, peer peer to the other region, okay? Peer to the other region, that's your backup tunnel. You're going, you know, the crisscross there for the VPN tunnels which are represented in the center. As you scale, as you grow and you need more connectivity, you also land or move up and you land your uh, direct connects into this uh, same transit hub within each region. And we've recently worked with a few partners as well. Um, it's funny, the, the challenge of going, it's really, it's really quite easy to create a VPN tunnel and connect in to AWS, right? I'm sure you know, a lot of people have done it. It's actually pretty simple. The, to me, the disparity gets, it, it's a big leap between the skills and the management and the process of going from those VPN connections to, um, having a robust uh, direct connect, WAN connectivity, multiple locations, multiple regions. So we see many of our clients actually working with, um, you know, third-party SD-WAN providers. So you basically connect to them, they manage the ingress and egress into cloud, multi-cloud, and back, all your backbones. Tom, Tom mentioned a few, at and um, We have partnerships with underlay networks that but we do this in our demo environment uh, and enables us to create this connectivity and do so at a, at a you know, fractional rate, right? We get to procure what we need, not going from VPN to full you know, 10 gig connection over direct connect, one gig connection over direct connect. We can do it at a fractional of that. Within each, uh, within each VPC account here, what, what, what we've created is a very small t-shirt size. So if we think about these VPCs and these accounts from a networking perspective from a second here, these CIDR ranges are, these are actually just little slash 24, you know, Class C subnets in each, uh, each count. One, one of the things I, I like is to really segregate the workload. You know, I think about this concept of blast radius, and, and I, if I have 250 addressable IPs, somebody does something with a CloudFormation template or screws something up on me, 250 is enough things that aren't available or don't work, right? So, you know, we start with, let's start small, and of course, if needed, you can go you know, to something larger. So small, medium, large, you know, really large, uh, from a t-shirt size concept around how do we deploy these VPCs. So this example is just a very small uh, subnet range. But you'll notice that you know, they all fit, right? And they kind of match. And we have planned this out ahead of time. So when we're deploying these workloads, we, we, we're doing it to a plan. We're not just kind of going with what's there. And this will become clear why it's important to do in a second. Uh, one of the technologies here that's you know, really prominently used and important in this type of a multi-account, multi-VPC, is obviously the, uh, the VPC peering connectivity. We think about workloads that are deployed. So we've got our shared services VPC up there. Shared services is where we're going to land and put any traditional IT tools, right, tool chains, things that might need to monitor or be available to multiple workloads. Let's talk about the most obvious ones, active Directory. Right? So if we, need, if we got a legacy environment, we need to rebuild as infrastructure as a service, we're going to deploy it into a non-prod or a prod or a dev VPC, and we just want a good old instance-based Active Directory server sitting there, um, let's put it in shared services, and we'll use a VPC peering connection, which doesn't have any additional complexity. We're not talking transit yet. We're not going out and back, most importantly. We're not going down and around, we're going direct, right? On the cloud provider's network, on their backbone to talk between our shared services, resources that are in shared services to our running workloads that are in one of our other spoke VPCs. So in this example, I've got the connections between shared services and our security VPC if you guys review. Okay, now I'm adding in, all the red lines in this document, all the red objects and red lines you're gonna see, this is, this is based on our, our partner's uh, solution, a partner called Aviatrix. They've been a leader in the transit networking space. They provide a programmatic, you know, API-driven solution to this transit networking problem. There is a little controller. I'm not sure if you guys can see it, but it's actually in the shared services VPC. It's written right there. You deploy that controller one time in your environment, you then you know you can then provision from that one dashboard from that one controller you can provision all of the transit architecture that's required to support this environment now again this is one vendor this is one flavor this is one solution there's other vendors that do this really well and now AWS does this as well as well so these are the transit network connections it's important to understand you know the transit Routes, these are transit routes. These are basically IPsec tunnels that get created um, and enable the traffic to flow between all these VPCs and between these subnets. It's important to understand the transit network actually doesn't come into play at all and isn't used in this design unless we have to route traffic from on-premises to the cloud, right? So in a hybrid environment, this is why transit networking is you know, kind of important It does more than just give us the connection. It allows us to inspect and see and see what's going on. So our our native routing inside the VPCs is happening, and our native VPC peering is happening as well. We're only invoking the transit networks when we've got to get on-premises up. This is an tier architecture perspective. So uh, this is where it starts to get a little detailed. Again, little slash, you know, this is is a slash 24 subnet, but we've broken it down into an end here architecture. So what we're seeing here is within each VPC, we're deploying in a very consistent way. And I had a great conversation with a a, a CISO this afternoon at lunch. I'm hoping he's here uh, because it was very validating. I showed him this architecture, and uh, you could see the gears turning, you know, over lunch. He's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. It It was funny because he was talking to me about what he's trying to implement in his his organization. He's trying to say, look, I just want N-tier architecture. I just want some gated controls within my networking. That would make me very happy. And if I get my developers to deploy within that same control, right, we can do it consistently. So if I have my my public transit network, I have my public presentation subnet. This is where my web application firewalls and load balancers exist. These two actually have um, IGWs. These actually have internet gateways associated with them. The top two, they're public, but everything else inside the other two are private. So I got my logic tier and my data tier. Now we got scripted deployment scripts. We got confirmation templates. We deploy with Terraform, and this is you know we're using network access control lists to even at the network layer say, all right. Um, The logic tier subnet gets to talk to either one of these two data tiers, right, and vice versa. And this logic subnet can talk to these two data tiers, but guess what, nothing else can. We don't need any network routing from anywhere else to be able to talk to that database, just the logic for the application. So, you know, right there, we've we've invoked network access control lists. We've added another layer of security, and we still have our security groups. And all of this is done in a very programmatic way and makes, you know, again, checks off a lot of boxes. One of the uh, very interesting use cases of this is um, internet egress. So many people forget that we've got this incredible, you know, capacity to access the internet and bring it in to our environment. On-premises in our data centers, we filter everything, and content filter, and inspect all traffic, right, from an internet egress standpoint, but many times, you know, folks will get started with cloud, they'll deploy workloads, and those workloads, those servers have free reign to the internet, um, so this gives you an option. It it's actually gets to be very costly, in a multi-account, multi-VPC strategy, if you have to deploy firewalls everywhere, and you want to do this programmatically, that's a lot of money, and a lot of overhead, and a lot of time, so what this does is it gives us the ability to say, okay. I'm going to deploy that content filtering appliance here in the security um, VPC. And I'm going to egress all of my internet traffic out. I'm going to inspect it. I'm going see what's going on. I'm going to whitelist, blacklist, allow, don't allow, whatever I want to do. And then we get out to the internet. Okay, for those private, for the private networks, for the private subnets. Okay, so the logic tier and the data tier. The other two obviously you know, have an IGW and they are, they are routable. All right, so here's the final you know, thing that I think Tom and I kind of like, which is when we talk about this not only in a hybrid cloud environment, but when we look at this in a multi-cloud capability, what's very interesting is the ability to say, okay, now I can actually do this networking east-west. Right, when I say east-west, I mean cloud provider A to cloud provider B. So, simple use case scenario, shared services, Active Directory domain controllers. In our example, in our GP demo company that we've built for our customers to take a look at and actually put hands on and understand what this all actually looks like, we have domain controller services running in our Config Center in Attleboro, Massachusetts, VMware Active Directory. We've connected to AWS Transit Hub. We've connected to Azure Transit Hub. And what we've done is we've extended Active Directory. So we have host-based Active Directory servers running in the shared services VPC and the shared services VNet. And they're all actually you know, the same domain. What's very interesting was that we created this east-west um, IPsec tunnel, this routing, where we don't need to go, for those servers to talk to each other and synchronize, they do not need to go down through the transit hub and back up, we've actually eliminated that. So they can talk direct and you know, synchronize directly. So, so think about that from a, work, from a production workflow perspective. That's actually what we've got here. So, so our you know, non-prod VPC and our prod VPC, if we really needed to, if we wanted to do like a database synchronization, for instance, we can create a route where we can go you know, east-west from cloud provider to cloud provider and create that route. For that, uh, for that database cluster or backup copy of something without invoking the corporate network or the wide area network uh, you know, to, to down here at this level in the transit hub. We're not, we're not doing that at all. We're using the cloud providers' internet access to create secure IPsec tunnels and have that highly available, highly, you know, very resilient uh, uh, connectivity and paths from either a multi-region or a multi-cloud. Okay, so once we've got all that built out, how do we control, how do we manage this stuff? It's, you know, it's a lot, right? We've got all these different environments. We have all these different applications to look at. So these are, as, as Tom said earlier, there's a lot of ways to do this. There's a lot of partners in the ecosystem. There's a lot of tools that are available from AWS. But what we found is for hybrid clouds, one of the things we kind of start with and recommend to our customers is a hybrid cloud orchestrator. And again, you know, we're putting CloudBolt up here because we have some experience and skill with it. There are other tools, uh, Turbot being one of them. Uh, Saw that when I walked in. But the ability to deploy, so, so you create these consistent environments in your hybrid cloud strategy, right? So we create the same, that same, uh, slash 24 subnet, let's say. We create that in VMware, we create that in Azure, we create that in AWS. If I want to deploy something, I can deploy into these different environments because I've got essentially the same infrastructure, almost a very consistent and very similar build. What does that do for me? It lets my developers know what to expect, what to go do, what to go build. It lets my support people know what we're doing. Everyone has that consistent operational you know, state. So the, uh, the orchestrator allows us to do that. It's essentially that self-service IT and user empowerment I talked about. You know, developer says, I need a new sandbox environment. Yes, approve, check, done, right? And it invokes the, whatever the build tools we're using, Terraform or otherwise, uh, to, kick, to kick these activities off. Um, so multi-cloud and hypervisor management all in one console. OpsRamp is a tool that we use as a managed service provider, digital operations provider for our customers and what we're doing is we're, we're, we're consolidating all of the data, all the tools from these different environments, right? VMware, AWS, Azure, whoever, you know, whoever, whatever the customer is using. Um, we aren't necessarily, some, you know, there's agents and there's ways to, to manage and directly monitor what's happening in each environment. But the most important job of a tool like OpsRamp is to give us that central support dashboard so we have a prayer of figuring out what's going on very quickly if and when something's wrong. Um, cloud Checker, as a you know, cloud service provider, Cloud Checker is a tool that helps us with some of the security, compliance, and financial control perspectives. So with consistent builds and with those multi-account strategies and VPC strategies, if we're building and tagging our resources appropriately and effectively, Cloud Checker gives us a, a good perspective on, number one, cost management, cost controls. What am I spending where? Um, what are, where are my true costs, right? That's, that's certainly a consideration when, deploying, when, when uh, thinking about a multi-account, multi-VPC strategy. Um, but Cloud Checker does a great job on the back end of kind of analyzing all this and giving us that, that viewpoint. It also does another, um, another function that sometimes, I, you know, again, I was talking to my uh, CISO colleague about the fact that many times the, our, our auditing cycle is sort of reversed right now. Right, we deploy, we build, this is gonna be great. Then we get security involved. They audit, scan, they come back with this long list of things that need to be remediated, right? So what we're trying to do is actually say, no, 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 give me the list up front, right? Tell me what we gotta to build to. I will bake that into the deployment process very early on so that then when we run Cloud Checker, we get to click a button and see, you know, is this thing to CIS standards? Is it to NIST standards? Or what standards do I care about? I just, you know, select the ones I really care about, eliminate the noise of the other stuff I don't. Great, right? I got green check marks along the way. It's a lot easier to do if we're deploying to the standard than trying to remediate it, you know, six months later, a year later, and there's deadlines, and we really want this in production, let's go. Hey, what are we doing? (laughs) Must have been a great point. (sighs) Really good point. Okay, so I'd like to talk about a customer of ours, unless the ceiling's going to come down. Um, a, this is a great customer relationship that we've had. It's a company called Finch Therapeutics. They're in the Boston area. Um, I, my, my colleague, uh, Jeff White's was unable to attend. We've been working very closely over the last year to implement and help them uh, you know, build their, their IT and cloud posture, and they've actually followed and adopted many of the practices we've, we've recommended. So it's, it's really been a, a really nice rela- working relationship. Um, they're a life sciences startup, main office and satellite offices in the Boston area. They've gone through a cycle of rapid multi-cloud adoption. Okay, so they have, you know, workloads running on multiple clouds. Um, they have a data science compute cluster in AWS. So their data science team runs, you know, heavy, heavy workloads in their compute cluster. Um, they are. They do have a Microsoft Office 365 user base, which you know kind of presented some of our challenges with networking and hybrid cloud. They use a, a, a robust application. I, I consider this like a, an ERP or MRP, even though it's not. It's not that. It's what it's what this company uses in their life sciences uh, field. But basically, they're running the business using this Centrax uh, IaaS application that you know surprisingly fit really well within that n tier architecture that I showed you. So they've got, you know, database clusters at the bottom. They got a bunch of application servers in the logic tier and hey, we gotta present it with load balancers in the presentation layer. And through our transit networking, we can attach to it securely. We can hit, hit that environment and reach the application. So it was a really you know, smooth uh, implementation or not smooth implementation. Jeff did a ton of work figuring out how to actually, you know, get that application to work uh, in AWS, but I'm hoping that we gave him some, you know, a great baseline uh, from from this uh, environment that we created. And they have a planned manufacturing facility; it'll be in Somerville, Massachusetts, and they're planning to leverage, you know, VMware. So a lot of this resonates with them that they're going to take, you know, sort of that backwards approach, right? And have a lot of running resources. They're going to have databases that are going to come from AWS, have to be synchronized on premises, and move forward. So this is their hybrid cloud, multi-cloud topology. This looks a lot like the you know, our demo company environment that we set up, except with a couple of exceptions. They've got you know, multiple remote offices. So what were some challenges for Finch? I really want to talk about the challenges here. Um, they have granular gated GXP uh, controls by environment. So that example I gave about the application uh, controls, uh, accounts and VPCs. They had to figure out how to connect corporate offices and remote office to, to cloud resources without backhauling all traffic to corporate headquarters. This was actually a really nice you know, win f- for us, was the fact that, yes, we have a mesh network where if I need something in the corporate, ne- corporate environment, I can get to it, but each satellite office has a direct connection to the transit hub, not a direct connect, but a VPN connection to the transit hub, and we don't have to go we don't have to go from branch office to corporate headquarters to get to the cloud. We can go directly to the cloud and not have to you know, use all of our available bandwidth at the corporate network to do this. We were able to create VPN client access and land that here actually with Aviatrix Gateway 2. So in each cloud environment, we're landing VPN uh, connections to you know, remote users, de- desktops, laptops, and things like that uh, within, each, within each cloud environment. So if there's running workloads in AWS that the user wants to get to, they land there. Um, and they, they land in the spoke VPC for the VPN client access in the other cloud as well. So big three challenges for them that we solved right away. Global transit architecture. We brought identity and access management uh, to each hybrid cloud landing zone here. And again, we gave them reference architecture around all of their IaaS de- deployments. So far, those IaaS deployments are working there. There's, you know, their, their networking team is really sharp. They, they haven't stuck with the really small granular slash 24 VPCs or going with, you know, larger things that fit and work for them under their management. Great, right? But the concepts and the way that we're uh, implementing and controlling the environments and kind of standardizing on things has, has really worked well. So some things we're, we're struggling with, right? So this isn't all rosy and sunshine. It's uh, you know we're still working to automate builds and deployments through CloudFormation templates, uh, but these will be used for the as a basis for cloudbolt build builds, right? Most likely powered by Terraform. So you know we're we're going through a cycle where we're first sort of figuring out let's get this this complicated IA stack working. Okay, great, we got it working in Dev. Let's look to really automate deployments. So when we have, you know, that GXP uh, deployment cycle even a complicated IaaS stack, we're able to do it in a consistent, you know, methodical, uh, scripted way. We're working to instrument and monitor all environments and workloads in OpsRamp, um, as well as helping to build a cross-functional Agile Scrum team uh, to, to do all this for the company. But overall, like I said, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure working, uh, working with this client. Well, so thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. I think it looks like we, we do have some time. Tom, if you, wanted to, if you want to take questions? Yeah. we'd love to take questions. All right, cool. Mic. That's right behind you.
0: I'd love to take any questions from you. I'm happy to run down. A um, use a mic so that we can hear your questions. So if anyone has any questions, just uh, oh, we have one right here.
1: Do we
2: have a handhold? I don't know if we have a handhold here. So, what uh, I'm curious hold? about is you know with the with the multi cloud how uh, you know billing or you know accounts are, are handled. You know is is it logging that you know basically drives you know how you how you track uh, you know which accounts are used, say for you know Azure versus uh, AWS and who gets billed for you know which account.
1: So, if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's you know, it's who who's getting billed for what, essentially.
2: Well, for any of the any of the services that you know cross over, you, know, ah, you know, the crossover, yeah.
1: shared services, right? Who pays right. for the domain control? Who pays for DNS? Who pays for shared stuff? Usually, most companies will actually, um, you know, they'll allocate that to IT as an IT spend, just like it would be, right, in their on-premises data center environment. Um, but what's nice is you know anything that's in shared services, we know okay that's a that's an overhead, an IT overhead, and shouldn't actually get billed to marketing, right?
2: So uh, you know I guess follow up to that, you know, um, how do you uh, you know, avoid you know say double bi- getting double billed for you know something that you know is you know should pure you know should be build from AWS, through AWS versus Microsoft or whoever?
1: Well, um, again, that's one of the things, so cloud, cloud Checker does a great job of that, of keeping things separate. And what we can do is we, we will essentially tag the, either the environment, so the account, the subscription, the, the VPC, the VNet, the running workload, and you can build automated reports based on those tags, right? So my example I keep using is marketing. Anything tagged with department marketing, guess what? Marketing department gets the bill. And Cloud Checker does a great job of capturing that. So even, you know, ephemeral workloads, right? So things that were spun up for a day and they're gone now, how do we figure out what the heck happened here? Who's supposed to pay for this workload? Um, That's what's great about having the ability to, you know, either account for it within an account, within a VPC, or certainly with you know, some tagging rules that we've set and applied programmatically and consistently. Uh, one of the things I tell customers all the time is like, look, we're gonna make mistakes in this. You know what's really important? Is we make the mistakes consistently, right? If we're gonna screw up, let's all screw up in the same direction. So it's easy to figure out what the right direction is and we can just change course completely. Um, so you know, documentation, controls, standards, right, around tagging and how we are gonna do cost accounting. Very important to put in place right away is that is that helpful okay another question here
3: oh yeah I could I could ask you a hundred questions but uh, so we have uh, about 10 12 million in AWS about 7 to 10 in Azure and 2 million in Google so I'm trying to bring the uh, I don't have a positive way of saying this but the data center mentality on-prem active directory team into the discussion and, and do exactly what you're saying here. Mm-hmm. And they're saying we don't want, and we have Office 365, so we have all the accounts already there for Azure. We need an on-prem Active directory extension into, into the clouds, and I don't want to build a pristine one, but we want to keep it separate from our corp, dev, and prod. So those will just be isolated for internal data centers, so we have you know, our silos of security, with no trust or anything else. So how do you, uh, you've already told the story here, how do you tell the story and convince them and onboard them to, uh, we need to leverage the Office 365, we need the cloud active directory, right? Mm -hmm. We need all those things to be interconnected so it's one seamless active directory that goes across all clouds with Office 365 integration, right, that's the story we need to tell. Um, You're telling, and I see your slide here and that's the story you're telling me. (laughs) So how do we convince them of, uh, you know, use, we use ping identity, but ADFS is already in place. Yep. Um, we know how to secure it, but we're just having a hard time getting them to come on board.
1: So really common in challenge in most organizations, right? Um, with this, you know, reference architecture, we try to deploy things in sort of a, an MVP model mm-hmm. where, you know, or a minimum viable cloud. Like, let's, let's build it. Let's see what it looks and feels like. Uh, let's solve that. In a minimal way, and get everybody on board. This is as much of a organizational change management problem as it is a technology problem.
3: Well, and we're probably we're what we're you're struggling with. We're, we have everybody who's working in the cloud who has a full understanding of what they need, and working with a team that is struggling to even get the concepts out. Um, so well, you know, traditional Active Directory versus. Azure Active Directory, right? Right. Um, and extending that Active Directory into the clouds, which is AWS, but that'll have to go in a traditional model. You can't do all three clouds in using Azure AD or even using the AWS uh, uh, LDAP service. You just can't extend that to all three clouds. So that's where your traditional Active Directory comes in. Right?
1: Exactly. Correct.
3: Thank you. And the key is,
1: <laughs> the key is having an understanding. So, so you know, like Tom and I have said, is that look, there's never a one-way singular vision for how to do all this, there's going to be appropriate use cases for platforms, for technology, for networking, for approach, right? There's appropriate use cases. Uh, What we've found and what we've helped many of our clients engage on many of our client engagements, especially around, you know, uh, uh, data center migrations, right? What does it look like? What, you know, where are we going to land? What's it going to look like? The key is actually to define what the, the pros and cons are. What are, the, what are the benefits and the risks of each option? Lay it out so people understand it. Take the time to go through that exercise, that planning exercise, but document it and share it with the entire team. Hey guys, you know what? You're really, you, you're, this is your domain, you're an expert, but here's what we've already done and what we've already learned. Many times you've got people working in silos and they don't share those lessons learned. So it's almost like you're starting over every time with those conversations. So I would kind of suggest that. That's some of the things that are on the, our roadmap for this environment. Uh, certainly, is building and showing that integration. So first things first, right? We we extend traditional. It's it's like we're treating the cloud like another data center. We've just yeah. brought Active that's, Directory in its in its native form, right? We're doing that number one. Now, if I want to extend everything
3: you're saying is what I've said for, for nine months now. We can't get and we're actually coming to the point where they're going to impact a four hundred forty million dollar uh, business line, and that's forcing it to happen.
1: So this is why you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to get the support within my organization to you know, go off and build this because I've faced those challenges and mm-hmm. I've watched our cust- you know, customers, enterprise clients face those challenges where talking about it on a slide isn't going to get you there. Nope. It's not, right? It's great. you got a great idea. It's on a slide. Fantastic. But when people see it working mm-hmm. and they can actually put their hands on it and understand it...
3: Well, we have it working within the business units. We, so basically we had... Uh, we we spun off of a large organization. I know. I'm, I'm yeah, your time. I'll be happy to. You know, uh, yeah. we'll be
1: outside. Let's talk yep. further. I'd love yep. to talk to you about yep. it, but let's give a couple of other folks a chance to ask a few questions here.
4: Uh,
0: just step right up to the mic there.
4: Okay, so, um, seeing that your reference framework relies heavily on um, IPsec tunnels, I was wondering, uh, have you run into situations where Um applications requiring high throughput, high bandwidth, how have you handled that, especially considering the limitations of uh, VGWs in terms of throughput, you know, being not more than a 1.25 meg? Exactly. You know, so how, how do you how do you get over that? And secondly, also seeing that you leverage the use of VPC pairing within those landing zones, um, how are you able to scale are those hard limitations that VPC pairing um, doesn't get you over? I mean, the hard limit of 125 VPCs, for instance, or is it just a template that's um, uh, adapted for organizations that don't need to scale beyond the 125 VPCs? That's,
1: that, that's exactly right. This is a baseline reference architecture that you know, we have found solves. Um, of high percentage right of initial challenges that our, our customers face it gets gets the ball rolling um, specific use cases high performance you know com- computing uh, high throughput uh, application stacks you know we're not going to span and use VPC peering right all the required dependencies will be contained you know within the cloud environment as much as possible um, Interesting solution released here at reInvent as well to cover that, uh, that, uh, that 1.25 gig uh, gig limitation on the, on the, uh, on the VGW. Um, Aviatrix has an insane mode now where they can actually achieve ten, full 10 gig over uh, the VPN tunnels where you can actually deploy it on-premises, use your commodity internet services, and achieve 10 gig. I was in their suite uh, Monday in... They showed it to me live. I was quite impressed. So there's 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 ways to do it. There's ways to achieve you know those things. But but certainly not everything is going to fit within this reference architecture. This is a viewpoint right and a good starting point. You have
3: any thoughts? No.
5: So I just want to say the uh, reference architecture that you guys showed is really awesome. Um, very useful for me to uh, see some different ideas. But one of the the things that crossed my mind is with a hybrid cloud, -cloud, multi-cloud architecture, you're relying so much on all of these different organizations, transit networks, to make your business function. And because it's the cloud, you don't have very good visibility into those flows like you do in your, you know, standard, traditional legacy data center. And I'm looking at this tool stack that you've recommended here, and I'm wondering if any of these tool stacks kind of give you some of that insight, not necessarily into the network performance, but, like, if you get a huge, fat network bill, being able to drill into what actually, what services or VPCs uh, was the culprit there.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, AWS announced this capability of transit hubs and, 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 and transit networks as a native service. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to get hands-on and understand what those capabilities are um, initially and what's on the roadmap. Actually, Tom and I have meetings with the product uh, team from AWS to discuss that. I have good, great working relationships with Aviatrix who's actually been involved in it. So the answer to that is actually some of this gives you the insight and visibility. So with each one of these tunnels, you can actually, you can really, you can monitor uh, the traffic you see the traffic you can do controls uh, uh, of what what flows we're going to allow within the traffic again all within that sort of dashboard so we are getting you are getting a views uh, similar to what you would expect you know in your data center this, this this solution is enabling that but you've also got you know within each environment you've got all sorts of networking monitoring and capabilities of um, seeing what the culprit is but that was certainly some of the things that I talked about with let's say OpsRamp so if we were to you know, build out these solutions, as long as we've instantiated them and we have those uh, performance metrics, those KPIs involved within each environment, mm. and we've got them going to a central dashboard, that's actually the, the beauty of one central dashboard is now we can see, oh, the culprit is here. I'm not guessing. I'm not trial and error fixing. I actually have you know, quantifiable data to point me in the right direction to, uh, to solve you know, some, some type of limitation or problem.
5: Is that because the infrastructure that you've deployed into each of those VPCs is providing like flow data or something That's like right. that? That's right. IP fix something?
1: Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't want to get, you're asking really good questions. Um, I didn't necessarily want the, the presentation to focus too much on you know, one vendor's solution or another, because this is you know, much more of just a, a, a topic or an approach.
5: Sure, if you'd rather, I can just find you outside. Yeah,
1: but I'm happy to answer your question. So the answer to your question is yes. These are all actually EC2 instances in this solution that you can size accordingly. You can put the right network capabilities on them, and you get from the central console, the central dashboard, you can see what your requirements are in real time. What do I need? And then you just simply redeploy the right-sized instances to support the workload. But you're not guessing. You're definitely not guessing. All right, thanks. Okay. Thank you. I think we're out of time. I think we are out of time. We'll Thanks, in, uh, everyone.